If you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. I'll go ahead and read. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm going to do, what I, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful uh, for how it teaches us, how it informs our life, how it um, helps us to live godly lives. I pray as we look at your, uh, your word tonight that it would reprove us, um, it would rebuke us. I pray, Father, it would give, instruct us in the ways of righteousness. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to see what you have for us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm, I'm sure that many of you are going to get something to eat after the service tonight, right? I know I am, right? <laughs> with family, maybe with friends. Imagine, though, if you knew that this was the last time you would see those friends for a while. Would your conversation be different? Uh, what if they were your children? And you knew things that they didn't know. Would you try to impart as much wisdom as you could in your final hours together? Would that press on you? Knowing that your time was short, would that influence what you say? Would trivial things be pushed to the background? And the important things work their way up to the front. Maybe you've been trying to tell your children something for a while for years, but they just don't get it. Would you reiterate it one more time? Um, this is what we see in this passage. Jesus knows things, right? Um, that, and he knows things that are going to be revealed to the disciples over the next few hours. Uh, you can see it in the text. If you look at verse 1, it's, what does he know? He knows that his hour has come to depart from this world. He's going back to the Father. Verse 3, he knows that the Father has given all things into his hands and that he's going back to where he came from. 
And throughout the evening, you're going to see a range of emotions from our Savior. From troubled in spirit in verse 21 to excited, right? The, the disciples will someday see him in the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. That's in, cha in chapter 17. He's going back to the Father, and while the road isn't enjoyable, he looks to the glory that awaits him. But the disciples, right, they don't understand. Jesus tells them in verse 7, if you look, he says, what I'm now doing now, you don't understand. But afterwards, you will understand. And he's speaking on a couple of levels uh, when he says that. In this passage, he's trying to communicate more than one thing. There is a lot in this passage. Um, some things they won't understand until after his death and resurrection. But tonight, we're going to focus on what he wants them to understand in the moment. Right? Like As they're sitting there that night, what he wants them to understand. Thankfully, um, Jason and I are about to go through this in community groups. So we'll have more time to explore some of the different things in this passage. But, but we'll focus tonight on one aspect of this. First, let's take a look at his method of teaching. It's not a discourse, right? Sure, there are explanation statements at the end, but Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. A disciple is a follower. Um, I do think it's instructive that when Jesus teaches us to pray, he gives a pattern, right? Like, so he gives us something to follow. We are, by nature, we are created to reflect and to follow. I mean, nobody has to, anybody that has children knows that they, they look at what you do and then they do it, right? Um, if, if I'm gone uh, from the house for a night, Hendrix wants to sit in my seat at the table, Right? Like I have a specific seat that I sit in every time, not because it's like the seat of power, it's because I've already messed it up. Right? Like I have we have white chairs and there are stains on it, and so I stick to that one chair. But he wants to he wants to sit in that seat. He's got he, he will take Mr. John's seat at, at story time and then he'll pray. Like he they, by nature, a child is a follower. We are we are meant, we look and we imitate. Right? The lesson. And, and so, and so uh, see, Jesus models, right? He gives an example of the service he desires. And we're to follow our Lord's example. The lesson is not difficult to understand. I'm sure as I, I read the passage, you got what Jesus is trying to get us to do. He is a masterful teacher, right? Um, but it's hard to do. So first, we're going to look at why we should serve one another Two, two parts tonight, why we should serve one another, and then how to do it. So first, we're going to skip to the end of the passage and uh, for why we should serve one another. And in verse 16, Jesus says this, truly, truly. And it's like he's snapping his fingers, right? Like, like, hey, look up, listen, pay attention. This is the thing right now. Like, I'm about to tell you something that you need to listen to. And he's going to repeat this throughout the next several chapters when he, he's trying to make a point. He's giving emphasis. And he's telling us what he would have us do. He says, do you understand my example? Well, I'm giving you two reasons for following. And this is the first. The first reason we should follow his example is, do you realize who you are? And more importantly, do you realize who I am? Verse 13 says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. We follow our Lord's example because he is Lord. We're the servants. 
I am um, a boss at work. I'm a, I have people that work for me. And every now and then, I will pull up to a job site. And when you deliver um, a house of hardwood, it could be seven, 8,000 pounds, right? Like it's in the back of a truck. And uh, this does not happen a ton, but every now and then, I'll grab some boxes and I'll help carry them in, right? Like, well, let me tell you, when I do that, I don't expect the crew to sit there and watch me, right? Like, like uh, so if, if I'm the boss and I grab a, if I grab a box and carry it in, then, then everybody else needs to do that as well. I think we all understand that, right? Jesus is, is giving that example. He is saying, I'm not just serving. I expect you to join in. He doesn't expect us to sit on the sidelines while he serves alone. We're expected to serve with him. We're not greater than our master. The second reason that we should follow his example is, that, is so that we receive a blessing. He says, um, if you know these things, this is verse 17, blessed are you if you do them. In our culture, I don't think we always understand this kind of less language. It's a formal blessing, a state of blessing, as opposed to a woe. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets, they would give woes and they would give blessings. In Isaiah 5, we can see the woes, right? Like, so, woe to those who join house to house, who join field to field. Uh, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run off to strong drink. And there are four more woes in Isaiah 5. And then we get to chapter 6, and Isaiah calls down a woe on himself. He says, Woe is, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips in the middle of a people of unclean lips. Right? So do you see the formalness of the cursing? It may be easier to see the formalness of the blessings and beatitudes. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. States of blessing. Favor that is shown towards man. The opposite of woe. Right? Now, not, not everybody is happy. I think in our world, we can see not everybody's happy. Depression is rampant in our society. I've seen several studies about how many people are on depression meds. Um, people are continually talking about mental health now. Right? Like, and I'm not saying that's, that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it's an indicator of where we're at. Right? Like we, we, our, our minds aren't in a great place. And I don't know how many times... I've talked to people with a multitude of problems who are just unhappy, and this is, this is generally my thought. Um, and I, I, and I've, I've thought this, and I've said this, and I said, if, if you would only stop looking at yourself, right? Stop looking at yourself. Lift your eyes. Serve someone. I know you got lots of problems. Serve someone anyways. You'll be a lot happier if you do that. You will be in a state of blessing. I can tell you this. If you serve yourself... I can guarantee you, you're going to be disappointed, right? Like serving yourself gets you disappointed. And that's not to say that other people won't disappoint you as well. After all, Christ is washing the feet of Judas. But I can tell you this, your master won't disappoint. Your Lord won't disappoint. And he won't be disappointed in you when you follow his lead. So these are the reasons that Jesus gives for following his example. One, He's the Lord. If he's going to do it, then we do it as well. Two, there's a blessing that you get from serving others. But how are we to go about it? Do we just serve? Probably. That'd be, that'd be great if we just started serving. But are there any clues in the text that will help us to accomplish the task? And I believe there are. We're going to look at two aspects to emulate. Christ's motivation 
and his preparation. Why are we having this teaching in the upper room? What is Christ's motivation to teach them, to prepare them, so they will know how to act when he's not there? And there is a phrase in verse 1 that is my favorite phrase in this whole discourse, chapters 13 through 17. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Is that not a phrase that you can just rest in? The completeness of it astounds me. Um, notice a couple things about the statement. First, there's a pass to it. He loved them. It's not just starting now. It's a love that has a history to it. He loved them before he even came into the world. That's why he came into the world. And now we have this covenant love right, that endures to the end. Not leaving in the middle of the work. Love that's about to say hard things to the disciples. Love that wants to impart hope. Love that desires to see them glorified and one with him and with each other. And this is the love that allowed Jesus to serve them. It motivates the lesson and the example. How is our love for one another? At the end of this chapter, Jesus tells them in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. Love one another in the same way, just as Jesus loved. Right? Do you love people to the end? By the way, I'm not talking about some mystical feeling in your heart. Love is an action, something that Jesus can actually command. Right? As you read John's gospel and epistles you get the distinct impression that for John, there is no difference between loving God, loving others, and keeping the commandments. Like, same thing. Like it's, 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 You'll see them, they spiral around each other, but it's the same thing in his mind. Loving God and keeping the commandments are the same thing. How is your love today? When you look around at the people in this room, right, have you made a decision that you're going to love them to the end? These people, the people sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, on the other side of the room, are you going to love them for the, to the end? Are you waiting for them to earn your love um, and your service? Or are you loving them because Christ commanded you to? Are you waiting till they get their act together? After all, sometimes the people that need our service, and, and, and ourselves included, we need service because we've gotten ourselves into positions because of bad Actions, bad decisions, we uh, deal with the consequences of, our, of, what we do, of what we've done. Do we meet the people there? Or do we say, well, that's your fault, right? Like, I mean, you shouldn't have done that. And now, you know, you, you're, you're reaping what you, so, or, or are we meeting them in that? Um, love is the mark of the disciple, right? Jesus says right after the commandment that this is how people will know that you're my disciple. Um, I love Ryan and Kelly's life group, right? Like, it's great that they're meeting. Every week, there's a group of cars that gathers in my cul-de-sac, right? This doesn't go on at the neighbor's house. Right? Have, 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 you, have you ever noticed that? I mean, I'm sure my, my street and cul-de-sac and neighborhood isn't substantially different than yours, but my house is the only place that people meet weekly. Right? Like, I mean, can you, do you see how big of a, a testimony that can be? 
people ask questions. Um, Laura and I were the uh, community group leaders for the career class at one point uh, when, we, when we first got married. And Laura decided that she wanted to get to know the ladies in the um, career class. And so she would have a ladies' night. I have no idea what went on during ladies' night. People were invited. I was not. Um, <laughs> so as a matter of fact, I was told to leave. Like I was shoot out and okay, I'll be back in two hours. Um, and uh, Caroline was going to be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we got to talk with Caroline at the end. But I, I can remember one night I came back and not everybody had left. There wasn't any parking because, you know, it was taken up throughout the cul-de-sac and all the way to the back. And so my neighbor had a parking spot open. And I knew he wouldn't mind. So I pulled into that. And he walks out. And he's like, what's going on here? That's what I mean. I mean, he noticed what's going on. Like, he noticed the people coming in. He said, is it a, and remember, it's a ladies group for the career class, so mostly ladies in their 20s. He said, is it a women's softball team? <laughs> so, like, but, like, wheels are turning in his mind. He's looking. He, he's noticing what's going on at my house. And I can tell you he does that for the other weeks, too. Right? I don't think I've probably leveraged my life group in my community. Can we take advantage of the love that we show for each other? Now I'm going to switch to the part of the passage that has convicted me the most. We have Christ's motivation, but now we have his preparation. Verse 4 says, he rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Christ prepared himself to serve. He wasn't in the proper attire. He took the form of a servant. Sinclair Ferguson writes about this passage and compares it to the laying aside of his outer garments and putting on the dress of a servant to the passage in Philippians 2. And Paul has many of the same objectives for the people in Philippi. He's telling the Philippians to count others more significant than themselves, not looking to their own interests. And Paul tells them to imitate Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Christ empties himself. He lays aside his glory, not forever, right? That's the great part of the Lord's high priestly prayer. He, he, he desires that the Father would glorify me in his own presence with the glory I had before the world existed. He returns to the Father, and he is so excited for you to see him in all his glory someday. We at home have been going through an advent calendar that has a nativity scene in it. And the humble stable is a picture for us. But do you realize that even if Jesus had been born in the finest palace on earth, the distance in glory between that palace and the stable pales in comparisons in comparison to the distance between the Father's presence and that palace. Do you remember the story of Uzzah from Samuel? We, we covered it in the last year. Um, he touched the ark and died. Yet yeah, we have the king of glory allowing himself to be handled by sinful men. John in his epistle talks about that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. We touched him. We handled him. This could only have been done in the form of a servant. As we are in the Christmas season, let us remember Christ emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant. 
What does that mean for us? What does it look like for us to take on the dress of a servant? We're going to have to lay aside our own glory to serve others. This might look different in different places. As I said, at work, I'm a boss. And there are definitely prerogatives to being in charge. But is something so beneath me that I can't lay aside my glory, my prerogatives to do that and serve others? Could I clean the toilets at work? Um, by the way, we have a policy. If you make the mess, you have to clean it up. But, like, <laughs> let's say somebody else's mess. Would I, could I do that or do I always send somebody to do it? Um, as a husband, God has made me the head of our house. Can I lay that aside and serve my wife? Right, do, I, do I lay aside maybe prerogatives that I might have um, to do that? Recently, we've added children to the mix. Um, <laughs> I call Sylvia short stuff. She's little. Um, I like it. I don't know if she does or not, but you know what? She's very cheerful, so it doesn't seem like it bothers her at all. Um, but Hendrix one night told me, I don't want you to say that anymore. Right? I don't want you to say that. I said, well, why? And he's like, I don't like it. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, but I don't think she has a problem with it, and I like it. And I told him, I said, and I'm in charge, and you're a kid. <laughs> right? Like, so... Uh, uh, so, and Sylvia is just around, right? Because I had called her short stuff. The next day, um, she's talking to Laura. I think Laura told her to do something, and she's, you're not in charge. Mr. John in charge. <laughs> right? so, so, so here, but that's what she took away. Like, that's what she took away from what I said that night. And are our children doing that? Do they see us as serving them? Or are we laying aside um, our rights as parents? Our, I, I don't want you to lay aside your responsibility or duties as parents, right? But, like, like, is it about us? Like, when you tell your children, no, you don't want to do it, it's because you don't want to do it, um, and it's messing with your world, or is it because it's not good for them, right? Are we laying aside ourselves to serve children? Like, this can be applied to any, lay, you know, any area of your life. What in your life are you laying aside? Are you taking off your robes, putting on the, 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 the dress of a servant and serving somebody else? Do you feel inadequate to do this? Um, I understand. Right? I don't love you all like I should. I do it imperfectly. Maybe better this week than I did last, but... Who knows, maybe next week I won't do it as good as I did this week. Like we're, we're, we're not perfect. I think it's instructive. Um, John doesn't record it in his um, upper room discourse. But if you look in Luke, uh, they have the, after this, they have the Lord's Supper. And then what do the disciples do? Argue about who's going to be the greatest, right? Like, you know, so they just got their feet washed, told to serve one another, and then, like, well, who's going to be the greatest, right? And, and Jesus says, it's the least. The least among you will be the greatest. So we don't get it really easy, right? Like, we, they, they just had this master class, and right? it's hard to do. But remember that we are commanded to love. So why don't you just Go ahead and write it down, right, that the people in this room, you're going to love to the end, just like Jesus did. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was going to lunch with uh, uh, someone here, and as we were going, we saw Ryan and Kelly, 
Uh, and they were just walking through the parking lot, and I rolled down my window, and I said, hey, you, you guys want to join us for lunch? And they didn't. They had something else they were going to do, and that's, that's fine. Um, but then we, we started pulling out the, uh, out the driveway, and Hendrix asked me, why did you ask them to lunch? And I told him, I said, that's my brother, right? He's like, what do you mean it's your brother? I said, uh, no, he, he's my brother. We, you know, we, we, would, we would go to lunch. I said, I'm going to eat dinner with that guy for eternity. For eternity. At least I'm praying that we eat dinner in heaven. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, that, that joker and I are going to go through eternity for, uh, you know, through eternity together, right? Like, do we, do we love people in the room like that? Like, that we're going to do that. That they are that kind of family. Like, that we're going to spend the, all of eternity together praising God, serving God. Am I going to love them like I'm doing that? So, what am I going to lay aside this week to serve someone else? The question in my mind, are the kids going to look at me this week and say, Mr. John in charge, right? Or are they going to know that I'm serving them? Is Laura going to know that I'm serving them? I know I need prayer this week for this, to love and serve. So let's remember this week to serve one another. And I didn't spend any time on this, and time is up, but... Let's remember to allow others to serve us as well. There's a, there's, a whole, there's a whole lesson in that from this chapter as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you loved us to the end. And we, Father, know we can't do this in our own strength. That's why you had to come. Um, and as we look to serve each other, I pray, Father, we would look to Christ's example. We would, we would take it. We would listen to it. And Father, when we fail, we are so thankful that you emptied yourself and took the form of the servant, that Christ emptied himself and took the form of a servant and came to die on the cross. I pray, Father, that we would rest in his righteousness. We would rest in his life. I pray, Father, we would repent when we don't follow him. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to, by faith, assume the righteousness of Christ. And it is a grace to us. Pray that we would look to him this week as we seek to live out what you have for us in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.